You're listening to Sprogcast, a podcast for people interested in pregnancy, birth, infant feeding and early parenting. Sprogcast is presented by Mark Harris and Karen Hall and sponsored by Pinter and Martin. Welcome back to Sprogcast, just in time for episode 59. In this episode, we're excited to be able to bring you a long interview with a man who has spent his career trying to change the way women give birth, Michel Adon. I'm Mark Harris, and here's Karen Hall. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Me? I'm I'm good. I'm, I'm just back from a, a weekend in Liverpool with the family. And uh, we stayed in a caravan, which was sturdy enough to withstand Dennis. This is not the weather for caravanning, nonetheless. <laughs> it was a big portable caravan. In fact, it's the best caravan we've ever stayed in. It was like being in a house, really. Wow. And it still rattled. God, were you it on was a cliff top. We were pretty much, well, not quite a cliff top, not quite a cliff top, but we were very close to the coast and you could look out of our window and see these waves coming in. It was, it was fabulous. And for me, there's nothing quite as cozy and comforting as being in a caravan. Lovely. <laughs> what about you? Um, well, it's half term, so that sort of thing. Um, mainly, um, I've got a bit of cold, so it's not been very exciting for my son. No, what, well, you've been grumpy, Karen? Um do just not really have any energy to do anything. No, I know that feeling. So are you busy with um, uh, work in ter- or have you got a bit of a t- time off in terms of the university work, the NTT yeah, work? Yeah, it's, it's a bit quieter at the moment. Yeah. I did a, a three-step rewind d- down in Yeovil uh, a week or so ago and it was wall-to-wall NCT uh, <laughs> practitioners, to be honest. Lovely. Always a bit on edge when I've got them in the room. I think, oh, God, I need a lesson outline and learning outcomes. Mm. And they'll be watching your facilitation as well as your content. Totally. Yeah, totally. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, well, they're highly trained, and uh, that's a good thing. So was that our general chat, Karen? Yeah, I think so. No, it's all right. Sprogcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Pinter and Martin an independent publishing company with many wonderful books, and you'll find them at pinterandmartin.com. If you place an order with them, you get an extra 10% discount if you use the uh, coupon code SPROGCAST at checkout. We also offer you the chance to support the show on Patreon, where we send out early previews of the show notes, bonus interviews and occasional articles. Most recently, we have a great response to our episode on surrogacy written by listener Rebecca Steinfeld. Yeah. Um, so look for patreon.com slash where you can support the show from as little as one US dollar per month. Um, or if you give us a little bit more, we will send you at the very least a cool badge. Oh, yes. We got plenty of badges, plenty of T-shirts. Definitely. So I thought it might be nice to um, look at the news articles and things like that. Um I can see on my script I've completely failed to put the Michelle O'Donnell interview in altogether, so we'll decide where to put that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, maybe play out with it. <laughs> yeah. So we had some interactions on Facebook, which was nice. There's a there's a particular article that Ellie Leckie has asked us to comment on. Uh, cluttering maternity wards, uh, making women self-conscious. You missed out a fairly important word for that headline there. Dad's cluttering up maternity oh, yeah. making. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fair comment. Yeah. I. What do you think about it? 
it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because a lot of women want their partners present. Yeah. Um, and a lot of hospitals don't really have provision for them. And quite rightly, it's not a hotel. But um, we know and there's, there's good evidence showing how important that early support is. And we also know how overstretched midwifery staff are. So yeah. um, a, a useful, a helpful father or partner available to, to be, give that support is great. But they're talking about um, what it says, as well as making women self-conscious, men are getting in the way of emergency buzzers, cluttering corridors by sleeping on floors, as well as demanding hospital meals, according to the midwives at the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh. This is from an article in The Telegraph. Yeah, I, it depends which midwives you interview, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, having worked in the NHS for many years, you know, uh, there are midwifery colleagues that, that just embrace the importance of a woman having someone with her that that is causing her to feel, you know, more comfortable, more relaxed, more at home. And we all know the importance of that. And, and of course, uh, a partner with a woman uh, would take something off my workload as a midwife. You know, when yeah. I was on the ward and I had 28 women and babies and me and one other midwife and maybe a support worker, you know, we would be at a wit's end trying to cater for everyone in as an individualized way as possible to have mm. a partner there offering a woman support, particularly an informed partner, you know, um, was a godsend to me. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't mind it at all. It, this quote's interesting though. It says, this is quoting one of the midwives, childbirth and postnatal period should be about women and babies. And we're having to bend over backwards for men treating it like a hotel, but it's that bit about it. It should be all about women and babies is interesting. I think that comment says more about the midwife than about... It does really, doesn't it? To be honest. Mm. For, for me, you know, I did a return to practice uh, about 12 years ago now, and my placement was at the City Hospital in Nottingham. And at the time, they ran uh, a part of their building as a postnatal hotel. So in that part of the building, you know, partners stayed you know, they were just there with their, they planned for it. At the time, I think they had to pay £25 a night for the privilege of, of staying. Um, but that worked really well. And I thought that was innovative and, you know, maybe the way to go. Yeah. I mean, I guess not all of them are going to be the helpful one who, who takes some of the work off your hands. Yeah, that's true. The midwives are complaining that women are um, embarrassed to breastfeed because of visitors on the ward they do have curtains don't they i know i know a curtain's not a wall no but they're soundproof so you can't hear anything what, when curtains? you're behind a curtain no i'm joking it feels <laughs> that way you you know you you, you, you swish the curtain they? well you swish the curtain round, and if you're not careful and on top of your game uh you, you, it's hard to sometimes you can forget that the curtains aren't soundproof you mm. know I think that's really, actually, really an important point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, maintaining privacy the best you can is always important. But uh, certainly as a midwife who day in, day out worked in that environment, I had to constantly remind myself these curtains are not soundproof. Mm. The other thing, of course, there are laws out there, aren't there, at the minute? about mixed sex wards you certainly don't see mixed sex wards anymore the, uh, you don't have men and women uh in the same hospital ward and i think there's legislation around that 
I suppose that's what makes it tricky, isn't it? Because the partners aren't patients. Exactly. So I do understand my midwifery colleagues' concern about men being present on the ward. And there's all kinds of local political issues in a ward environment, you know, where you have midwives that want to facilitate that and make that happen. And you have midwives who, for valid reasons, you know, uh, don't really want anybody else on the ward. Hmm. Uh, So I get it. Um, I I think we need to move to a place where, you know, we're embracing uh, partners into the birth environment, but not lose sight of our primary focus, which is, which is always the woman herself. Yes. And you know what, this is about the environment, isn't it? Because if you think of a lovely sort of birth centre setting, where a couple can be together during the birth, you would value having the um, the partner there for that and if, yeah. if you could then be moving to a postnatal environment with that same kind of coziness that's going to create the the support and the loving environment and the oxytocin and and the things that that will help that transition yeah. into parenthood in a in a way that um a, a six-bedded bay with curtains isn't going to do absolutely and and of course we're talking in the context of an under-resourced service with yeah. overstretched professionals doing the very best they can we have a maternity services that ultimately has been structured by a male neurophysiology you know and it's designed around an intuitively masculine way of seeing the world that's my position that's what i think if we were to wrap up everything we've got now and have a service designed uh by uh a a dominantly uh, kind of feminine leadership would have completely different service completely it wouldn't look the same yeah totally and we've talked to so many people people like phoebe pelotti who've discussed that with us and have a real clear vision of how that could look yeah a social model of midwifery um is the way ultimately that that I think we should be going, you know, where we, we, we do not view birth and pregnancy as a pathology waiting to happen. We see it as a natural unfolding, uh, of life, um, uh, inside a community. You know, it's a, it's a cliche, but it takes a, a village to raise a child. Uh, and of course we're living in a culture and a society where, uh, community is being, you know, diminished and downgraded so Hmm. this actually does lead us beautifully into our interview with michelle doesn't it it does tell me why i'm i'm ferreting around in my mind um i'm thinking about um now i can't remember what book it was of his that i read first but it was very much about the community of of his um birth center Impivias. Yes, that's right. And with the singing and all sorts of things. Yeah, singing around the piano. The importance of the environment. Yeah, definitely. Many, many of his books, perhaps not so much the, the latest ones, but, well, I don't know, actually, you, I, you probably know better than I do, but many of his books have really emphasised that side of the importance of the environment for childbirth. Definitely, yeah. And, and of course, the work of Professor Dennis Walsh, retired now, uh, you know, seeking to put uh, midwifery and birth into a social context. And uh, my interview with him, I loved it. I, the only frustration was I'm not sure he heard a word I was saying. 
there were moments where it was clearly a bit tricky, but I think it was a lovely conversation. I loved him. I was in awe of him because for me, uh, his books early on in my midwifery career shaped me. Yes. Yeah, it shaped me. It was like me. It's like meeting uh, your hero. It was like, like um, I just felt there was a warmth I got from him that I, I blew me away. He was just warm, kind, uh, very generous uh, in his giving of time. So I hope yes. you enjoy it. Donc, j'entends très bien, je vous vois très bien. Oh, uh, now I must speak English. Yes, okay. <laughs> I can hear your voice easily. It's very clear. Yes. I can see you. Yes. You can see me. Yes. So we can have a chat now. Lovely. So and I, remember, I, 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 remember you... that my ears ah. are 89 years old. Yes. My yeah. ears are 89 years old. <laughs> so, uh, and with my ear set, I cannot have my hearing aids. No. So you must speak clearly, slowly, loudly. <laughs> I, I will do all, I do all those things apart from slowly. So I will slow down. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so, are, are you well? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, but it can be a little better with that. Yes. It's okay. Yeah, yes, I can hear okay. you very because clearly. I, I see that you have a big microphone. Uh, it, only for record. It, it, it aids to the quality of uh, voice production for me. My other uh, yeah. um, headphone things are not very clear. Mm. Cheers. So, what do you want to talk about? Well, I, 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 I'm a little bit in in awe of the conversation because when I was 24 and a nurse and considering midwifery, I met Dennis Walsh, you know, Professor Dennis Walsh, and he introduced me to your books. Oh, yeah. And your books charted. Oh, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Uh, uh, well, well uh, you were 24. That's uh, how long ago? <laughs> I, I, I'm 55 now. Pardon? I'm 55. 55. Yeah. Uh, so it was 30 years ago. Yeah. 30 years ago. Which book was it? I remember. Well, I can't. Rem I can't remember the title, but it was a. Uh, a, a book that had lots of black and white pictures of a very young oh, yes, Michel yes, yes. at Pythias. Historical. Yes. yes. Birth, birth Reborn. Yeah, it was... Birth Reborn. Published yeah. originally by uh, Random House in New York, but there was a British edition as well, yes. Yes. Who, who published it here? Do you know? Yes, that was a British edition, yes. Yes. It, but well, originally it, it was American, yes. Yeah. Well, it's... That set, was history. Yes. It's history. Yeah. But it, it, it set the path for my midwifery journey. Oh, yeah. Very much. Mm. It, it moved me, and as a man entering 
a very medicalized birth environment i could have gone down the road of uh, the institution you know i could have ended up seeing birth as pathology uh, and mm. your books and your writings um, led me to the conclusion that I would never understand birth, but I could always be in service of it and and support women giving birth. So thank you very much. So that was about history. <laughs> yes. So, I, I, okay, so you, you retired in around about 1985? I didn't really retire. No. Uh, in 1985, originally, I took a sabbatical year because uh, uh, of the birth of my son, Pascal. Uh, my, I had a son born in April 1985, so originally I took a sabbatical year yes uh, a year off a year off but what happened that in reality I never went back to the hospital institution <laughs> to the hospital to the institution <laughs> uh, uh, I made many projects many yeah. different projects experience of home birth yes uh, the, the, the primary health research center, many, many things, many things like that. Yes. And so that when I have reached the age of retirement, in fact, I was making project. Yes. I was making project at the age I was supposed to retire. <laughs> so I never retired. I never retired. I'm more busy, more busy than ever. <laughs> did you, did you enjoy the freedom? Uh, hello, I can, I can see you. Yes, and uh, uh, hold on, here we are. Should we try again? <laughs> uh, now I can see you and hear you. Okay, so in 1985, you said you uh, started lots of projects. Did did you enjoy yes. the freedom? Yes. Your question was about freedom after. Yes, freedom. You must realize that until 1985, uh, during the past seven or eight years in a hospital in France, a state hospital, I was the only doctor for 1,000 births a year. Yeah. Wow. With six midwives. With six midwives. So the maternity unit was organized originally for just for the local people, 200, when they arrived in PTVA, there were 200 births a year. Wow. But after 1976, we constantly had 1,000 births a year, people coming from everywhere. Wow. And I was still the only, only doctor and six midwives. And at that time, I had a feeling that I had a lack of experience. Yes. <laughs> yes. With 1,000 births a year. So today, average number of births for one doctor is, uh, one obstetrician is about 100. 
Wow. So they're in charge of 100 births a year. I was in, the, in charge of 1,000 births a year. Yeah. So uh, I could do that at certain age, but there was a time <laughs> when uh, it was difficult. <laughs> After <laughs> living, being, uh, having a sabbatical year, I found it diff- impossible to go back to. <laughs> so yeah. I had many projects, you know, many projects. Yeah. Uh, home birth, attending home birth, uh, 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 database. Yes. Uh, uh, books, uh, articles, uh, lect- uh, I was in demand and demand for lectures. Yes. Everywhere. So finally, uh, when I had old enough to retire, I was making projects. I'm still yes. making, I'm still making projects and writing about the future. Wes, I've got some questions about the future. I, I was about the future. Yes. Well, I've got some questions. I, I mean, if you're looking back over all the books you've written, what would you say uh, in your mind is the most important one? Oh, it's always the last one. Oh, I know that, but if you, but, yeah, I get that because that's so fast. You know that uh, the last one is the most valuable one. For example, what could I say about childbirth from a bacteriological perspective mm. ten years ago? Nothing. Yeah. Now it's a big, big topic. So. The best book is always the last one. And your last one was about the marine chimpanzee. Pardon? Your last book was about the marine chimpanzee. I know that's not the last one. What is the last one? The last one one is the future of Homo. Right. The marine chimpanzee is an old book. Yes. It was published in 2017. That's oh, a long time ago. <laughs> That's an old book. Oh, I'm out of date. So, so your new book explores the book title "The Future of Homo" was published in October 2019. That's not too long ago. October 2019. I I haven't read it, but I I, I do have it. Yeah. I can show it to you. Yeah. What I, it looks like. I'm sure it's... Oh, I haven't got that one. Right. Is is that published by Pinter and Martin? No, no. No. This one is uh, more scientific. Yes. It's published by World, World Scientific. Got it. I, I, I'll check that out and we'll... So, so what's what's your main point in this book? I'm trying to fill a gap. Uh, until now, there are futurologists, but futurologists explore the effect of human activities. Effect of human activities on the pollution of the ocean, of the climate, and current human activities. There are experts in evolution. But they explore the past. We need today scientists who explore the future with a, a evolutionary way of thinking. 
we must we need futurologists who raise questions about the transformation of homo how homo will be transformed in relation to modern aspect of our lifestyle particularly during the phase of formation of individual so this is what yeah, i'm trying to fill this gap you know with an evolutionary way of thinking exploring the future until now futurologists and experts in evolution could not understand each other because they don't use the same units in time experts in evolution were thinking in terms of millions of years futurologists in terms of centuries and uh, futurists in terms of, so they could not understand each other they could not have dialogue today is different today suddenly that's new we're at the end of the era of the age of neo-darwinism it means that we understand how some acquired traits can be transmitted to the following generation we are not just transmitting genes the transmission of genes means a very slow 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 process millions of years well transmitting acquired traits many ways through for example the epigenome that you say epigenetic factors how uh, uh, some some genes have been educated not to express themselves they are allocated the marker kind of label so they cannot uh, express themselves so uh, it's an example of how we learn that acquired traits can be transmitted to the next generation also the microbiome the mother is transmitting to the child more than her genes she's also trans- because she's not just made of cells coming from her genetic material she also made of of microbes the uh, uh, human human beings in made of microbes and cells <laughs> so the mother to certain extent it's transmitting her microbiome to the next generation so today we can expect fast transformation of homo of human beings fast transformation and particularly transmission of acquired traits so we have to focus when we understand that on the phase of human life that has been the most dramatically modified radically modified within some decades is the period of birth the phase of birth has been modified more than any other phase of of modern life easy to explain to anybody the point today is to talk to those who think that childbirth is a topic for pregnant women or experts no childbirth is a topic for everybody for example it's easy to explain today that uh, 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 at, a glo- at a global level at a planetary level today today that you say in the age of synthetic oxytocin in the age of 
safe technique of civilian section, easy to explain that today, at the level of mankind, of global level, the number of women who give birth to the baby and to the placenta, thanks to the release of what is now considered a cocktail of hormones of love, this number is becoming insignificant. Today, within some decades, we have made hormones of love redundant, useless, in the period of birth. That's a turning point in the history of mankind. We have to raise question. What will happen if hormones of love are redundant in a critical period of the development of human beings? So that we can explain that within some minutes to everybody. Today the point is not to talk to midwives, doctors, pregnant women and doulas. It's to talk to everybody. It, it's cultural. So, uh, it's the same for everything. Today, everybody is talking about the climate. But today, everybody should talk about the evolution of homo, transformation of homo, in relation to new aspects of our modern, uh, of our la lifestyle, particularly the period of birth. Today, the human system of a newborn baby, in general, immediately after birth, during the first minutes following birth, is not educated by a great diversity of familiar microbes. Uh, until now, when a baby was born, the first microbes that were, that were colonizing the baby were microbes that were familiar and therefore friendly for the mother and for the baby. For the mother and for the baby, because the human placenta is very effective at transferring the IgG, the antibodies, antibodies. So until now, when baby was born, immediately, from the first minute following birth, his body was colonized by a great diversity of familiar and friendly microbes. That was the beginning of the education, of the programmation of the human system. Today, it's the opposite. Today, uh, babies are born, are deprived, are in a state of microbial deprivation at birth. The, they are born among uh, microbes that are not familiar, and therefore not friendly, and there is a lack of diversity. So the human system is not develop in the, in the same way. So what is at stake is the health of human beings. It means that we have reasons. If I say that, it's explained we have to reason, we have reasons, good reason today, to raise questions, but transformation of human beings, fast transformation, is better to say transformation rather than evolution, because people, evolution means slow process. That we have to talk about transformation, we have to think of epigenetic factors, uh, bacteriologic factors, and other factors. So we have to consider today, when you are futurologist, <laughs> uh, and what futurologists don't do until now, we have to consider fast transformation of human beings in relation to the way we interfere dramatically 
in the critical phases of human development. We talk about childbirth because this is undoubtedly the phase of development of human beings that have been the most dramatically modified within some decades. But there are other aspects of modern lifestyle that are radically new. For example, today, uh, almost all human beings are exposed to ultrasound during fetal life. They are exposed to ultrasound many times during fetal life. We know nothing, absolutely nothing, about the possible long-term, non-specific effect on health of being exposed in a repetitive way to ultrasound during fetal life. We know nothing. We cannot study that because modern technique of epidemiology make impossible variable study. We cannot randomize. We cannot, we need time. We need, uh, I've developed that in an article that you can find easily because it's open. Uh, it's open to everybody. Uh, an article about uh, epigenetic clocks. If you go to uh, PubMed, you know PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D, if you type my name, O-D-E-N-T, space M, no punctuation, be careful. Odon M. Uh, in fact, you find also Odon S, <laughs> because I associated my daughter to the article. <laughs> Lovely. And my daughter, in fact, I wrote the article, I did the article, but I associated my daughter because she's a professor of medical genetics in a French university, French university. So, so if you go to Odon M, you'll find an article called Primary Health Research in the Age of Epigenetic Clocks. In what I say is today, we need new methods to study the possible long-term non-specific effect on health of new aspect of human lifestyle during the period of formation. For example, during life, ultrasound scan, it's new, or being exposed to, uh, to uh, synthetic oxytocin, it's new. The mother uh, not releasing hormones of love when giving birth, it's new. Babies, newborn babies exposed to 10 vaccinations in early infancy is new. But we know nothing. We cannot study that through randomized control trial. We know nothing about the possible long term, that means 40 years later, 50 years later, long term effect, non-specific effect on health, life expectancy, process of aging and so We know nothing. So, uh, this is the gap I'm trying to fill with this book, uh, uh, a gap re related to the fact that 
futurologists study effect of human activities, but not transformation of homo, and experts in evolution look at the past in terms of millions of years. We, the original reason for my book is to fill the gap. Of course, it's a, lo a lot about the birth process, because people have to realize that in the phase of human life, that's been the most dramatically modified, modified within some decades. So that's why when you talk about my books, you know, you have to consider the last one. This book, it, it was impossible to write three years ago. Even the book you mentioned, uh, The Birth of Homo, The Marine Chimpanzee, published in 2017, in reality was written in 2016. It's old. <laughs> When people ask me which book, which one of your books, because I've published, I don't know, 15 or 16 books, I should read I say, the last one. The last one. Yes. Are you hopeful for the future of Homo sapiens? Are we heading for an extinction event? Yes. So, two points, two important points. Today, I don't talk, I don't write, about Homo sapiens. All, I had a book published about four years ago, I don't remember, called uh, about uh, childbirth and the future and the evolution of Homo sapiens. At that time, I was writing about Homo sapiens. Today, I write about Homo. Why? Yeah, why? Why? <laughs> The two reasons. Uh, the first reason that we know today that all of us were hybrids. We, we know about interbreeding between sapiens, Denisovans, uh, Neanderthalis, and so on. We all of us, except if we are purely South African, but all of us who have genes, genes coming from Neanderthalis, and Denisovan, and even some aspect uh, of uh, our phenotype, to say what we are in reality, how our human system works, come from the genes transmitted by, by Neanderthalis, uh, Denisovan, and so we are, we are hybrids, we are a mixture. That's why I don't use the, I use Homo, and I give a definition of Homo. Homo is a member of hominids, members of uh, our family with a big brain. Yeah. It's, uh, those who have reached a big brain of uh, 1300 uh, cube centimeters, you know, that, that's my definition of homo. And there is a second reason. It's a little bit ironic. How to call sapiens yeah. <laughs> who is unable to phrase appropriate questions before it's too late. Yeah. We don't deserve the term sapiens. So, <laughs> so there are two reasons why today I write about deleted sapiens. Very good. So, uh, just to say that the way of thinking is changing very quickly. 
we don't think in 2019 in the same way than 2015. So, because the ways of thinking are changing quickly, when people ask me, you know, which book uh, I should read, I said, the last one. Yes. When, in fact, a bit what I said, when you mentioned Birth Reborn, the book I published in 1984, that you said, 35 years ago, you know. Yeah. Uh, was oh, that history, historical <laughs> interest for the history. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey let, can I ask you one final question? Because I've taken a lot of your time. If you were starting again uh, as that young surgeon, what would you give your time to now? So if you yeah, you, you're a young surgeon. And you're starting again. Yes, I know. What would you do now if you, you were that young man starting again professionally? Knowing what you know, what would you be doing with your life? Yes. Uh, it's sure that when I was educated as a surgeon in the 1950s, I was educated as a surgeon in the 1950s, uh, although I had already spent six months in the maternity unit of a Paris hospital. At that time, for me, surgery, uh, being a surgeon, was more prestigious than being an obstetrician. It was not, uh, uh, I was not truth. thinking of becoming an obstetrician. No. It's only uh, when I was practicing at the same time surgery and obstetrics, that realize that being in charge of a maternity unit is serious. It's, it's, uh, you need, you take huge responsibilities. I have to explain that I became an obstetrician almost by chance in an unexpected way. I was in the hospital in PTV as a surgeon. Yes. But there was no doctor in charge of the small maternity unit. So when the, there were two midwives and 200 births a year. So when the midwife heard that I've been in the maternity unit of a well-known obstetrician in Paris, Dr. Suzor, when they heard that I was familiar with the new technique of cesarean section, the segmental technique, locally there was still a surgeon doing the corporal technique, when they, the midwife had a problem, they were calling me. That's what happened by chance, because there was nobody else in the town. <laughs> <laughs> they were calling me, and I realized that gradually, through anecdotes, that uh, where babies are born, it's a serious issue, you know? Yes. Uh, that some anecdotes, you know, for example, a woman in labor with a bridge baby, and at the same time, I was operating an elderly woman with a cancer of the stomach, you know, a gastrectomy. I was thinking, what is really serious? Yes. Is to, to pay attention to, to this baby who has life expectancy of 80 years, or to try to, to help a woman, elderly woman to survive cancer of the stomach. What is serious? I realized because I had two aspects in my, uh, uh, medical practice, that finally 
uh, being involved in childbirth is very serious. Uh, I started to realize that probably it had long-term effect. It was difficult to understand that in the in yes. the, in the early 1960s, for example. So gradually, uh, I became more involved. So to go back to your question, if I had to start again, perhaps I would understand that earlier in my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I was already... I understood that when I was already in the late 30s, you know, or uh, like that, you know. Perhaps I might have understood that earlier in my life, perhaps. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but sometimes it's good. Your daughter is a professor uh, of genetics, so you've influenced. Oh, yeah. your, She's your, a professor of genetics, yes. Yeah, you've obviously influenced her. I think so, from many ways. The first way is when she was 17 or 18, very young, very young, before studying medicine or just starting to study medicine. During the summer holidays, she came to our maternity unit to replace, to replace uh, uh, health nurses, the cleaning ladies, but at the unit on holiday. So she was sharing the life of a maternity unit. Uh, she came to operating theater. Uh, she, I trained her to help me for a cesarean section, and so on and so on. Uh, she, she saw birth in what we were calling at that time uh, in a home-like birthing room, you know, uh, yeah. uh, in a so on. So uh, it was probably an influence. So after that, probably it's not by chance, she became originally a, a pediatrician. She became a neonatologist. She became a neonatologist. Uh, but, but after that, little by chance, she did a PhD in genetics. Outside the field of medicine, she did a PhD in genetics. And finally, she became professor of medical genetics at the University Hospital in Rennes, Brittany. A very interesting part of France because Brittany is a Celtic population. And very interesting from a genetic perspective. So she's, we might say, the authority in genet medical genetics in Brittany, you know, in wow. the wow. So I'm trying to involve her in uh, some of my activities. That's why I put her name in this article I mentioned about primary research in the age of epigenetic clocks. I, I think it. I don't need to say more because you can find it's uh, uh, open access, open open access. It means that you can read it for free on the web. You go to PubMed, you go to my name, Odon M or Odon S, the name of my daughter. Yeah. And chronologically speaking, it's the first article because uh, they start with the last one. Yes. So you'll find it. And you can read the whole. Day. Furthermore, if you have the book, 
the book, The Future of Homo, there is a chapter, a chapter about that. I'm thinking of something, because you are a little bit special, <laughs> uh, you have special background, yeah. <laughs> uh, you have a special style, I was thinking of something. If you obtain, if you get this book through, Amaz through Amazon, Amazon.co.uk, you might write a review of the book. I will. Huh? I will. Yes. Uh, but I'm sure you would say something a little bit funny or interesting. <laughs> or, I, I will. Uh, the way you introduce yourself. Yes. I was thinking of that, you know, when showing the book. <laughs> uh, if you can, if you have it through Amazon, because you have to uh, to get it through Amazon to yes to be to be uh, accept to yes. be valid. <laughs> yes. To publish it. Come on. I, I, it's not to be, but. Uh, just to say something, perhaps... I will, I, I, I will do that, v definitely. I, I will. Did, did... Now, okay. now there is a one review, uh, but it's new because it's not a book that you'll read overnight, you know. No. You cannot read it in... Yeah. Uh, it's a, a book for World published by World Scientific. It yeah. means that it's not for specialized people, but it's for people who have a certain scientific background. Yes. It's not a book for pregnant women. No. Uh, pregnant women can read it if they have a scientific background. Yes. It's better they don't read books. Yes. So it's not a book for pregnant women, but uh, it can be a book for people like you, for people who have a certain scientific background, yes. whatever their background. Yes. I want to make this issue an issue uh, uh, for a uh, cultural topic, you know, a little bit like climate. Yes. Uh, 20 years ago, only experts were interested in climate. Mm. Today, everybody, mm. even girls, is 16. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, we'd like, my ambition is that is the same for childbirth. Yes. That birth is, should not be a topic for specialized people or for pregnant women. It should be a topic for all those interested in the future of the planet Earth. Yes. Of course, because the future of planet Earth depends a lot about what kind of homo will occupy the territory yeah. in the future. You know? <laughs> yes. Um, yes. I think well, it would be good. I'm sure that you can write something very I will do it. I, I, I will definitely do it. And thank you very, very much for spending time talking to me today, uh, Michel Adon. I'm grateful. Have a good day. Happy, happy good Christmas. Hope to see you, you again somewhere. In yes. Soon. Soon. I'd love Bye. to have coffee. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope uh, you enjoyed listening to that as much as I did talking to 
that lovely man and um to have the chance to hear him so enthusiastic about his new book homo <laughs> i love the way he says we haven't earned the title sapien yet <laughs> which he found very funny when he was talking to me yeah yeah we're not wise yet we're just homo is that his most recent book, The Birth of Homo, the Marine Chimpanzee? It's not, is it? No, no, God, no. This is a, an updated one, not published by Pinter and Martin. And it's just called, I'm trying to find it on my shelf now. It's just called Homo. Right. And it's, a, it's an exploration of his epigenetic focus, really. Oh, yes, yes. That's the, such an important focus of the interview. It was really interesting to listen to. That's where he's at. I mean, I love the way he kind of gently told me off and said, it's not my old books that I want to talk about. It's what I'm doing now. And there was kind of like a visionary focus to it. It's like like his opus magnum or whatever it is. You know, it's like his life work is coming to the moment where he sees uh, epigenetics as uh, the next important uh, evolutionary development of mankind uh, sorry humankind i didn't realize his daughter was a a doctor of genetics and has a particular interest in epigenetics so very interesting so lots of other books by michelle Ardant that are out there um for people to pick up from various places including pinter martin of course oh there's a book that i would recommend every student every doula read and that's birth in an age of plastics by michelle Adont. it's uh it's a small little paperback and uh, use your 10 percent code and, and it, yeah it's current currently on offer at six pounds oh man that's, that's a no-brainer that's two coffees in london <laughs> sure is. And that's the end for today. Our next episode comes out on the 25th of March. I'll be 56 because it's my birthday on the 20th. And we've got a great interview with Rebecca Brione from Birthrights talking about the holding all together research. If you have any other suggestions or comments, get in touch via Facebook or Twitter. That's facebook.com slash broadcast and at broadcast on Twitter. And just in addition to Rebecca Brione, I'm hoping to have an interview with the author of a book called The Secret Midwife, Life, Life, Death and the Truth About Birth. You've got that. You've got an interview with her. I'm in the middle of discussing it with her publicist, but she's, oh, she's an, an anonymous person and we're just trying to figure out the technicalities of it. Oh. Well, I've been in touch with her on Twitter and she said she couldn't do it for contractual um, reasons. So, Well, obviously didn't ask the right people, Mark. <laughs> well, I didn't go to her publicist. I, I, I'm looking forward to reading the book, quite frankly, because the very fact that she's choosing to be anonymous uh, raises some alarm bells with me. Mm-hmm. She has been interacting with me on Twitter in messages. So, Excellent. Well, we'll we'll hope to have that as well. I think they might they might sit quite nicely together, mightn't they? Those two. That'd be brilliant. It'd be it'd be interesting whether you have to modulate her voice so she sounds like um, uh, Professor Hawkins. <laughs> yes, um, that that's exactly what we're investigating. <laughs> oh well, that's great fun. You're all excited about that now. Aren't you? <laughs> I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit. Uh, bristly because i'm thinking oh karen managed to get that and i tried and couldn't do it <laughs> oh but there are there are people that you know that i wouldn't have a hope with so you know you've got michelle o'donnell mark come on 
Yeah, you're going to have to work hard to trump that one. Indeed I will. Without a doubt. <laughs> okay, just to finish off, um, we've mentioned Facebook, we've mentioned Twitter. Don't forget patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you to all our lovely patrons. And if you oh, review yeah. us on iTunes, that helps other people to find out about us. Um, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. You've been listening to Sprogcast with Karen Hall and Mark Harris. The news we've been discussing is on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Sprogcast. And don't forget you can buy great books from pinterandmartin.com using the discount code Sprogcast at the checkout.